Welcome to MicroCollege. This week on the podcast, I'm very excited to be speaking with Dr. Jenny Finn, who is the executive director of Springhouse, the Springhouse Community School, um, which is a fascinating organization um, with, with a lot of resonance um, for, for me and for, for this whole MicroCollege movement. Um, Jenny Thin has designed structures that foster vitality in people, communities, and organizations for nearly 30 years. She holds a PhD in sustainability, sustainability education, and co-founded Springhouse, a school inspired by a vision to live in a world where all life thrives. Dr. Finn's research, mentoring, and teaching invites people to deepen the relationship they have with themselves in order to serve the world with greater clarity and compassion. Her work has taken many forms, including nonprofit leadership, trauma and hospice care, chaplaincy, clinical private practice, community building through the expressive arts and education. With a dedicated and inspiring community, Dr. Finn articulated sourced design, five principles that take care of life in a person, community, and place. These principles are practiced at Springhouse and shared globally with those who share the vision of the thriving world. And uh, Jenny is joining us here from uh, from her community in in, in Western Virginia uh, near Floyd, which is which is a really special small town. Um, mm -hmm. so thank you for joining us, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me, Jacob. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for taking the time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we on on the Micro College podcast, uh, it's kind of a, a ritual for for each uh, episode and each person I speak with, um, and and that is, I'd like to ask you to to reflect back to your time as a young adult, um, to when you were eighteen to twenty one year old, um, some some you know in that age range of the students that we're working with in our programs. Um, and think about uh, what was what was important in your life. What were the influences there, and and what what sh uh, from that period was shapes what you're doing today? Wow, yes. So I always start when I'm speaking about Springhouse with that story, and I've never been asked to start <laughs> with that story. So, yay! <laughs> um, it's because it's a big story. Um, I mean, that's a big time in life is, are those years, 18 to 21. Um, and for me, uh, it absolutely informs that the experience I had during those three years in particular really inform what I'm doing at Spring House, what I've been doing for 30 years. Um, it was shortly after I was in my early 20s that really what happened to me during that time became a call to service for me that I've been committed to I'm 52 now, so all of these years. So during that time, I um, had graduated high school. I was in, I just, in where I was from was suburban Detroit. So uh, we all, everyone just, you know, at least in my, I went to a college prep high school, all girls Catholic school, wore a kilt to school every day. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, you just, you go to college after that. That's what you do nobody really asked me like what, what, what other options might be, why I was going. And I chose to go to the college I went to, um, the university I went to because my boyfriend was going there and all my friends were going there. So I didn't have a sense of myself really at all to know that I could do something different. So I just followed everybody else. Um, and went to a school, gosh, I think, I think there were 65,000 people there. It was Michigan State University. It was a huge school. 
So I went there and proceeded to get more lost terribly than I already was. So I was already, you know, um, I was, you know, from a pretty affluent area outside of Detroit. So I was already part of that sort of suburban um, group of kids where I was just already lost. I was drinking, partying, making it in high school, but, you know, not really as concerned with my myself, knowing myself or knowing or learning um, than I was fitting in. And I was terrified and lonely and didn't know what I was doing. So I was coping um, and mostly through alcohol and getting people to like me um, <clears throat> and having a boyfriend. Um, so those were my coping skills. Maybe some people can relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, and when I went to college, I all of that got worse. All of it got much, much worse and much crazier um, for me, though it didn't look crazy because it was a little bit, honestly, of the norm. It was kind of the norm. So even now, you know, I'll have friends who are like, it seemed like you were fine. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I wasn't. Um, and um, I, by the time I was 20, was on a path to, um, for me, it was very extreme. Um, I was really on a path to self-destruction. No, no doubt about it. Um, and it was at that time that I had um, an extraordinary experience beyond what I could ever have comprehended at 20 years old, which was I was um, very, very drunk. And I had an internal, very mystical experience that um, woke me up mm -hmm. at 20. And basically what happened to me was I heard from within to put my drinks down that I had in my hand and that I would never drink again. And I've never drank since that day, since oh. that night. Um, I remember walking, which is a miracle that I remember, but I do remember walking down Grand River Avenue in um, East Lansing, Michigan, and thinking, huh, what am I going to do? Um, and that's really unusual. And I feel very lucky that um, that happened to me, but I was, can you imagine? I mean, I'm 20 years old. I'm at Michigan State University. I have this experience. I completely stopped drinking. Everyone thought I, they didn't know what happened, you know? And um, I proceeded on a different, very different path. One that, that very much centered around taking care of the gift of my life. Um, and so for me, that that extraordinary experience, which really uh, only got solidified several years after that, I was um, diagnosed with a really serious cancer at the age of 25. Wow. So I had a lymphoma, faced my own um, possible death. Um, and that just solidified for me that we don't have all the time in the world that this life is a gift. What the hell are we doing? You know, what is happening around me? What was I doing? Um, and everything changed for me by the age of 25. So after I had cancer, uh, what my awakening turned into a call to service, a very clear one to create the conditions for thriving for myself first, always, always myself. It's going to start with myself, be as honest and close to my own life as I can. And then from there, uh, work to create the conditions for all life to thrive. So it did not start in education for me in terms of like education, yeah. school. It very much started um, much closer to death. 
So I worked a lot. I worked in the trauma department. I worked in hospice. Um, I worked with dying organizations who would call me and say, we're suffering, but we're, we're not, we're not taking care of ourselves. You know, we're in a healthcare system and we're not, um, we're not, we're smoking, we're drinking, we're overeating. We are, you know, taking care of people's health, but we're not, we don't know how to take care of our own. We're gossiping. We're it's, you know, things that people are I'm sure familiar with that happen all the time in schools and everywhere else when we're not taking care of our own lives. So I would go in to these organizations and, um, and uh, support them to create the conditions for thriving. However, if a person's life and design of an organization um, is not oriented around taking care of life, those efforts are futile because it's kind of like if you're, um, yeah, if you, if that's not your orientation long-term, then one little effort isn't gonna, isn't really gonna make a difference. So that's, it's really that story. I mean, I just finished a book and we have made, we publish and make our own books at Springhouse and they're beautiful and magical. And um, I spent this year writing a book and the very first chapter in two pages tells the story I just told. So it's really, it informs everything I do those years. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing those, those stories. It's not just one story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's really, it's powerful to know that, that background, because I mean, what I sense in, 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 you know, having followed your work um, for the last several years, you know, reading your, your newsletters, I think, you know, you, and, and, and just the work of, of the community, um, the Springhouse Community School and, and the enterprises around it. And there's a real I get a sense of, of powerful, of, of urgency, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's really, you can see flows out of that story, right? This, the, the work that yeah. you're, you're doing is, is, is urgently important. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that and, and sharing that. Yeah. 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 I'm happy to, I'm happy to share it. And um, you know, I, it's been good practice to share it more and more as extraordinary and um, even outlandish as it can sound, um, it's, uh, my story. And, you know, when I, when I had a teen, um, teenager, I had a couple teens read my book before we actually, um, made it. And, uh, one of them said, wow, um, how do you tell this story? Do people ever ask you to justify or prove it? I'm like, uh, <laughs> yes, in so many words. Um, and there's no way to do that other than um, to offer my life as evidence. Yeah. That's pretty much the evidence is that my devotion to whatever woke me up that will forever remain a mystery is seen in every aspect of my life. And that does not mean perfection, not even close. It means actually the opposite. It means really uh, living from a very vulnerable, raw place much of my life yeah 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 and I, also in company of young people of teenagers and, and young adults which mm -hmm. i know from personal experience is a that's a place where it's it's powerful to do that and also like it, it keeps you on your toes da daily right you have to be changing. exactly exactly that's right that's like true. That would come from a teenager about <laughs> exactly i know that's why i had him read it <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. yeah, because I wrote it so they could understand it. That's one that's part of the guidance that I received before I wrote this book was make it short, make it understandable 
to teenagers and tell your story. Tell your stories, story in 20 pages or less on a Google Doc. And so I spent eight months doing that. Yeah. And the name of the book is? Consider the Source, A Design for Living. And and, uh, yeah, where can people find it? (laughs) Yes. So they can find it if you go to the Springhouse website, springhouse.org. And if you go to the press, so it's called Sourced Press, our shop is on there. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. People should definitely check that out. And we'll we'll put a link to that in our in our our notes as well. Um, Great. Yeah. So I I think I mean, it's I'm I'm really excited to have you um, on the podcast and to talk with you again. And we've met uh, you visited Viroqua and we talked a couple of times over the years. But I think, you know, what what you are doing, um, what's going on there uh, at Springhouse is complicated. There's a lot of different branches to it. So I'm excited to have you describe that and explain um, the different different parts of, of, of of what you're doing there. Um, so maybe, but just to continue the the story, can you talk about the origin of, of Springhouse and and, uh, and and where where does this initiative come from? Yeah, that's a good um, question. Well, I had no intention of starting a school that was not part of, even though I was finishing a PhD in education, I had no intention of teaching in um, higher education um, or uh, ever founding a school like that was just not my wheelhouse um (laughs) and uh I live in a very uh a way that can be hard to explain but I listen very deeply to my intuition I mean how could I not after being 20 years old and having that experience it's like okay there's something that knows more that is wiser than than me um so I need to listen to it and then I need to enact my life from it so my entire life has been that. Um, and sometimes I don't listen and then I learn in that way. And, you know, so I don't always listen, but um, I'm learning now as I'm in my fifties to just listen, <laughs> just <laughs> listen and go that way. Um, so part of that was moving to the Blue Ridge Mountains from Colorado. So much of my work in the beginning was all in Colorado. Um, so I, you know, went to graduate school there, raised my family there, met my husband there, um, did a lot of work in cultural design there with organizations, um, mostly as a consultant. Um, and then I had a, you know, this is another book or a weird story, but we had a weird experience where we were really guided to move to the Blue Ridge Mountains, which was strange for my husband and I, because it happened at the same time, which was really even more strange. Hmm. So we ended up coming here, um, moved our whole family here. We had an incredible community in Colorado. We planned on living the rest of our life there. We had great work going on there and um, we were moved here. So if people want to know that story, <laughs> you can reach out to me later. Um, so we moved here to the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, I'm looking out at them now and super grateful that I live in the middle of the mountains with nothing else around me. It's really helpful. Um, and then I let go of everything that I did in Colorado. That was just part of what needed to happen for me. I let go of it. I did not want to just, um, drop in to imagine like, uh, I've been, I've dropped into schools, churches, prison systems, um, any hospitals, anything you can imagine, like I've dropped in there and then we do something to spark vitality there. Maybe it's an honest conversation. Maybe we're dancing. Maybe we're painting. Maybe we're 
drawing or it, it just whatever, something to connect us to the soul of who we are as an organization, as people, we'd have this incredible experience. And then I'd get a call from the CEO or whoever hired me to be there a month later. And they'd say, that was incredible. I've never seen the staff like that. And it's gone. We're back to what we did before. And so that happened in every single circumstance mm -hmm. that I worked in. So when I left Colorado, I just had a pact with the universe that was like, I'm not doing the spark thing anymore without staying there and taking care of it. It's kind of like my wood stove. It's like, I'm going to tend to it so that it keeps going in the winter. Because if you leave it and that's your design, then you're just going to be cold <laughs> in the winter. So that's what was happening. And I was like, I want to, I want to see what happens if we light a spark and then we stay with it as a collective like, don't be distracted by money, by our own personalities, by um, the urgency of the time. Like, how do we listen? How do we spark something together and listen so closely to it and stay with it for a lifetime? For, and, and then pass it down so that it can be stayed for, with for lifetimes. That's the experiment I want to be involved in. That's a cultural experiment. Yeah. But what, the, what is that going to be? So I literally wandered around the country roads of Floyd, Virginia for about six months and waited to hear what, where I, what I was going to be doing. And I ended up being invited into a school that was falling apart here that had just started. Um, the first, it was the first year. It's the same thing that happened to me in Colorado where I'd be invited in. And this, it was kind of magical because the person who had started the school, he had heard of my work with dance because I did a lot of community building with dance. And then he found out I lived in Floyd. He had literally randomly heard about my work somewhere else. Somebody had written an article about it um, with my work with an organization called Semester at Sea. He found out I lived in Floyd. He called me and I went and did some of the stuff I did in Colorado. I was like, fine, I'll work five hours a week. No bigs. I don't know this place. I'll just do it. And that ended up turning into me and Joe and Ezekiel starting Springhouse. And so I've... I, uh, countless times we'd be at the table and I'd be like, wait, am I starting a school? Am I starting a school? Is that what I'm doing? Cause that's huge. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Number one, number two, that seems like a huge investment <laughs> and I don't know what. Um, so that's exactly what happened. And um, now Joe and Ezekiel are no longer involved with the school, but are friends of the school. And, um, and I'm leading the way with seven other staff members who have been with us, you know, either since the beginning or throughout our founding, but nobody's left. So we are really, we have a lot of historical um, connection and we're, we're going into our, this will be our 10th year now. So that's how it, it started. Um, and it makes a lot of sense because school is that place where we go day after many of us go day after day, we be together and we learn. And um, we can completely take that back and make a, what, what is the purpose of school? For us, it's to learn how to take care of life, starting with ourselves and then in our community in place. So that means everything we do, Everything, it's not, we don't, is, is not a reaction to what's happening in our educational system. We literally start with, that is what we're doing. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? What's our educational approach with that as our center? So everything 
is obviously different because we live in a world where now we have a globalized educational system that perpetuates the status quo of life not being taken care of. Um, so we, we've had to, you know, just stay very, stay very close to our own lives, stay close to each other interdependently and listen very deeply to the path we want to take and then pray for the courage to stay strong amidst the demands for legitimacy, um, the fear of the unknown, the mockery, the not being taken seriously, all of it. But we're we're much stronger than we've ever been now. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can get that sense from from everything, yeah, that, that you send out into the world. And um yeah, I, I guess um one of the things I wanted to ask you and in, in reading through your website and things that you've written, the word life with a capital L <laughs> just mm-hmm. stands out. And um I, I'm wondering if you could you could reflect a bit on what what you mean by that. You creating, you know, a, a yeah, an education and communities that that are you know, are devoted to to the nurturing, the caring for life. What what do you what do you mean by life? That's a great question, and one I often get asked. I would say first of all, re- anyone who's really curious about what I mean by that, read the book. It'll take you probably an hour to read it. Um, I also wrote an article for Education Reimagined called, I think it's called Regeneration Partnering with Life or something like that. And I can send you the link to that. But that's also, um, I think I use the story of Cinderella to tell what I mean by life <laughs> through that. Um, but um, also the skeleton woman. I, I've written several um, several articles about this. And I often use myth and other things to point to what I mean or the earth. So what I mean by life is um, the very force that animates us. I just breathed. So for most of us that we don't even think about that. I do. I do as a cancer survivor. um, And I actually, you know, just in full transparency have cancer right now. So, I mean, unbelievable. Right. But I think, I think my prognosis is pretty good. So don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. Um, but I don't hide this stuff because we're human and we're all going to die. So, you know, one of our staff members said, Jenny, I don't think people understand this, this life is a gift thing. I don't think they understand it because they, many of us are, we've never experienced facing our death and we live in a death avoidant culture. So we don't really understand that this is not going to last forever. Um, I do. I actually do. Um, and I live accordingly, not, I don't, I mean, I have run myself silly into the ground at points. Um, but eventually I continue to learn how to live sustainably this gift of life. So just my life, the, the thing that makes me Jenny that moves through me, that is completely unified with what moves through you that moves through you, but totally differently, Jacob, like there will never be another you. Ever. There wasn't one. There will never be another me. I'm looking at my dogs right now. There's never going to be another Dan or another Kevin. <laughs> These are my dog's names. Um, it's the thing that moves through us that with each breath we can learn. It takes time. And you have to navigate, especially as a young adult, which or an adult, which is much harder, 
as we get older and more attached to our survival strategies, we can learn how to partner with the animating life force that moves through us. We can learn how to do that by connecting more deeply with our bodies, um, with a sense of the sacred, and by growing our self-awareness. We can, if we do that repeatedly over and over again, we begin to understand more deeply what life means in terms of our own life. But then if I look, you know, I'm looking at, there's an apple tree right next to our house. And as I watch it go through the seasons, it, there is something that moves through it that regenerates that tree in a way that it's fully surrendered to. It flowers, it dies, it gives fruit. Their life itself is moving through this world with, and life is wisdom. There is wisdom there. And we can learn if just first to take care of it, but then actually partner with it and work with it. And the last example I'll give is when we have a wound. Like if we have a wound and I'm thinking about a wound I had on my neck, like I had a biopsy thing. And um, I, I remember watching it heal. Maybe people have had this experience. It's incredible. Like I can take care of it, but I can't heal myself. Like I can do everything I can to take care of this wound. Um, but something else is like actually repairing my skin to the point where there's no wound there anymore. That is a miracle. We miss it every day, all day, because we're looking at something else. But I'm looking straight at that. And we at Springhouse are looking straight at the incredible power of life. How can we take care of it? And then how can we partner with it like the earth does so that we can live in a world where all life thrives? This is going to take generations. When I'm designing or teaching or planning, I'm thinking about like if I'm looking into a teen's eyes, I'm thinking about their great, 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 great grandchildren. That's what who I'm thinking about. So you have to have a lot of soul stamina to design in that way and community where we remind each other, wait a minute. Okay. We're going to, we're, we're going to, we're not going to see a lot of the fruits of what we're doing. Yeah. We're not, that can't motivate us. The fruits cannot motivate us. I know sometimes we like to feel good about what we're doing. <laughs> so <laughs> let's find other ways to do that. But the fruits are going to be experienced well down the line. We hope. Yeah. That long-term vision is so hard to maintain in our culture, which is. It is. It is. Next <laughs> tomorrow or this afternoon. <laughs> Right. And to, to, to work with, with, with young people. So you're um, Springhouse, you, you have uh, programs for teenagers. Um, how, how young are your youngest students? We have uh, a high school for teens, 13 to 18 years old. Um, we have a, an adult program. It's a cultural design program. It's eight months. Um, and those are for, you know, anyone who considers themselves an adult, young adult or an adult. Um, and then we also are launching in September, um, part of our mission is to have a global design network. So we know not everyone's ready to do the, the eight month program. So through our network, people will have an opportunity to work on their own leadership. Um, so we'll have like a, a spot for leaders who are using the design that we call source design because it orients around the source of life. Um, so they'll, they can work on their own personal development because a lot of people somehow don't tie those two things together, right. <laughs> leadership and personal development. 
so we'll have a spot where people can really uh, pro monthly programs where people can work on their own personal development in a cohort in community virtually. And um, then we're also going to have an innovator uh, here. I don't know what else to call it. A part of the network is um, where people are, have been doing that, but they're really ready to learn how to build beloved community in a deeper way in their workplace or in their place of practice. So they're at a different place. We've noticed a very clear distinguishing kind of line there where some people are like, God bless, I can't even take care of myself right now. Okay, great. So this is that this would be where you can learn how to do that. And then others are really ready. Like I've been doing that for a long time. I just want some more support in how to include what I know personally mm -hmm. um, in my workplace, which is really vulnerable and hard. And then we have the designers who do the eight month program. And then we have partners who are people who have done the eight month program and are ready to like long-term, I'm talking about a lifetime, work directly with us with this design in ways that respect their people in place so that we can have more case studies of what it looks like when a collective takes care of life that we know that will eventually move larger policy one case study is not going to do that. So we're really, our strategy is to develop partners, but we know that that's going to take, like I'll probably in my lifetime work with maybe two or three more partners because um, hmm. it's deep work. We're not interested in like having millions of people do that. You know, it's more who really wants to do this because if you do, it's going to change you like you've never been changed before. And then uh, you'll have to commit to a place over time for your lifetime, really. I mean, I, I've tried to flower that up and make that sound different, but I, <laughs> it's, it's going to take that kind of commitment. And I know out of the billions of people on the planet, there have to be a couple who are like, yeah, wait, what is this design? And what, you know, what, what is she talking about? I think I might be ready for that. That's who I'm looking for. But we have other, other areas that people can work within. Uh, me personally, I'm looking to work with people at that, that stage but we have um, support for other adults too that are, are just new on the journey. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to talk about all of those parts, <laughs> but mm -hmm. maybe, um, so with with your high school students um, mm -hmm. who are who are there every day, they're, they're in a, in a, in a, mm -hmm. a close-knit kind of residential uh, or in, in a close-knit community. Um, what, what does it look like to bring these, these ideas, these principles into, into the day-to-day -day life of a high school? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And one I can answer more clearly than I ever could. <laughs> now, um, so the design itself has five principles. Source design is a cultural design. So it's not only used in schools. So imagine like I may have someone come to me and say, I'm thinking of someone in um, Kenya. And he says, I want to build an example of I, I, he, this person actually wants to start a school. I want to start a school that, and he understands because he's been part of our design work for a long time, that takes care of life. So he uses that language. And I say, okay, great. That, that, that in and of itself, let alone what you're going to do in the school, that is going to take a lot of support just to start an example. That's what source design is for. So when someone or someone might come and say, I want to start a restaurant that builds community serves great food and um, contributes to creating the conditions for all life to thrive. Fantastic. Great. Source design tells us 
first to take care of vulnerability. Because the thing is, is you're going to be vulnerable. You're living in a dominant culture where taking care of life is made fun of, misunderstood. It doesn't, we don't even know what that means. You know, you're, you're going to be vulnerable. So take care of vulnerability, then cultivate personhood. Like know that you're going to be vulnerable, then cultivate your personhood in the ways that I've mentioned. Continue to take care of your body, foster a sense of the sacred, grow your self-awareness over and over and over again. And this is all in the book. And then build beloved communities. So when I was taking, I did not know how to take care of myself. When I learned how to, I started to lift my head and actually see from a very resourced place, oh my God, there's other people around me. And, <laughs> and I want to, I want to, I want to do something with them. I want to, I want to support them too, because I know what it feels like to be supported. So I'm going to need some help in building beloved community. That's the third principle. I'm going to need some support. And how do I do that? I respect individuality. I foster unity and I take care of relationship. If I do those things over and over again, I'm going to be building an interdependent community wherever I am. If I'm in Kenya, Denver, Belgium, wherever. Um, So then if I'm doing that, then I really do need to know that this is a long-term, this is, if I'm going to build an example, this is going to be long-term rooted work, like an oak tree knows, an oak tree knows that. So the fourth principle is to learn from the earth, learn from the earth about building culture, know that it takes building an example in place over time. Then you have to learn how to sustain it and then it will spread. And then you need to know how you're going to support that. Like the, like the millions of miles of mycelium under our feet in the forest, you need to know that those things are going to be happening. And then the fifth principle is to love and serve others. So loving and serving others, many of us are doing that as a distraction from our own pain. Maybe people can relate to this. I, I was doing that for a long time, even after I woke up where it was like, I didn't know how to help myself. So I just helped others. And my, my primary, my first field was mental health. So I know that many people who are engaged in offering direct services to people to help them, um, they're not doing that work themselves. I, I know it's hard to hear. I know that people maybe are mad at me for saying that, but that's just the truth that I've experienced after decades in this field is that we're doing work with other people that we're actually not doing ourselves. And we're really not invited to do it in higher education. I wasn't. Many of us are not. Um, it wasn't even a requirement to be in any kind of therapeutic counseling kind of thing as a master's student in social work where I went, which I think is problematic if I'm going to be offering that <laughs> to someone else. God bless. So anyway, um, loving and serving others from a place where I can accept reality, starting with my own, um, follow my call, which means I need to have heard it. I need to have heard it. What am I? How am I serving the world? How am I called to serve the world? And then to keep going, which most of us, it's hard to keep going, especially with something that is um, counter to more dominant kind of cultural ways. It's incredibly difficult. So that's the design. The educational approach to answer your question is informed by that design, which is why I started there. It's informed by that. So what would a school be doing informed by this design? Our educational approach without, and I'm, we're, we're going to be publishing a chat book, which just means a small book um, in the fall. 
So people will be able to read our educational approach. We're calling it, of course, sourced education. Makes sense. I tried to come up with a fancier name, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so um, the educational approach, just in a nutshell, has three pillars to it. Number one, that the community is the crucible for learning. The community is the place where we learn and grow together, which means the community needs to be cared for. We need to be really clear about what our shared values are. We need to have practices that take care of the life of the community. And for us, when we talk in education about evaluation and assessment, what we would call that is rites and rituals. Mm -hmm. Rites and rituals, how do we nice. honor growth, right? It's like, how do we honor growth? So we have rites of passage, we have rituals that honor growth. We have, um, you might see at the end of every, um, we, we still do kind of break up the year in trimesters. You might see what we call reflections on learning where they're very um, intimate conversations with the adults and learners in the community about where people are on their journey, not specifically related to a paper they wrote or a, something they're studying. It's more about their personhood. So um, all of that is informed um, by that, but we're not going to sit there and watch grass grow, like nitpick these different things. It's more honoring their uh, adult and teen development over time. So community, number one, um, knowledge. Yes, there are things we need to know to be a builder of vital culture. And that's going to look really different than a, a high school curriculum that we're used to. We don't silo our subjects in terms of how, in terms of these academic disciplines, though we do have specific areas of study. So that in knowledge, it's really about studying ourselves. We need to know who we are. We do that in a particular way. And then um, knowing about culture. How is, how is culture uh, built? How does it evolve? How does it spread? How can we criticize our culture from an informed, compassionate perspective? Culture. What about our own home culture? What about the world's cultures? How do they relate? Culture, culture, culture. <laughs> it's all about that. And then um, possibility. So we need to know ourselves, we need to know our cultural context, and then we need to know about possibility. We learn about possibility in some really cool ways. How the how the how life works, mostly through the earth, um, the power of love, so through the wisdom of elders and cultural movements, and then um, through uh, the wisdom of limitations. So we have a, a whole course that talks about the limits of the human will, death, and the ultimate constraint of our Earth's resources. So when we face our constraints, our ultimate constraints, there's way more possibility than we think we can limit. We have all we have no limits, which is how we're globally operating at this point. Um, so that's that. And then the third pillar, knowledge, and then the third pillar is practice. So we practice through a skills framework that is very basic and simple, informed by our values. We all agree to our values in action. Those are the skills that we practice. So things like doing hard things in order to grow, um, fostering empathy with the people around us. They're all very clearly laid out and everyone agrees to, do, to follow those so all the way from board members down to teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have internships that are mostly located in our print shop um, or in media because we feel at Springhouse that if we're learning about these really important things that we do feel that other people should learn about, we need to spread them through media. So we do. 
through digital media, through books, through posters, through what we call cards to leave around. We are the production, basically the production line for all of that to come out of. So when we talk about what's education for, that's what it's for, is to wake up and then share media that informs, inspires, and reveals what we need to know. And then the last thing that we is included in practice is that I teach a class called the Ripple Effect. And it's really about how culture, generative culture and degenerative culture um, spreads. So the methods by which culture spreads, the whole school, adult learners and teens and staff um, participate in that class. And it's really about how culture spreads through systems of belief, through language, through education. Education perpetuates culture. In fact, it creates it and perpetuates it. And then media. So we look at things like, we'll look at Springhouse, but we'll look at um, degenerative cultural movements, tragic ones like this year, we're gonna be looking at genocide and the Holocaust. How did that work? How did that spread? How was that possible? That something so, the most tragic thing in human history could have unfolded before the eyes of people like you and me. How is that even possible? It's important that we know that. So for us, it's really, what really do we need to know and be and do right now? And we're gonna do it, even if it's like, we get questions like, um, well, do you offer a math progression? It's like, okay, so (laughs) our concern is not a math progression. All of our students are assessed in their baseline ability to read, write, and, and do work with numbers. Everyone is assessed in there to the point of what do they actually need to be a student at Springhouse? They do need to know. How, and if they don't know, then we make sure that they get the support they know to get to the baseline of how they can actually be a part of the Springhouse community and learning because we've not done that in the past. And that's not fair to the student or to us. So we need to assess and then make sure that everyone's ready for our curriculum. And when they are, then we use numbers to do things like look at statistics, to, to create statistics about things we're learning. We, we use that um, in building, in letterpress, in setting typeface to make things. You can't get away from numbers in that process. <laughs> but that's not our number one concern isn't that our kids are getting everything that other kids are getting. We, we don't want them to, actually. So, but we want them to be skilled in uh, learning. We want them to know how to learn and be ready to learn. So that's just one example, but really I'm much more concerned with living in a, um, a culture where racism is still a thing um, than whether or not our kids are going to get trigonometry. I'm much less concerned about that because if they do, as they get older, want to pursue fields where that's going to be a primary tool they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to learn it and they're going to use it. Right. So, yeah. There's so many tools to learn facts, skills, exactly. right. And, and I think if you've got, if you've tended to the, to the inner capacities, to the curiosity in the world, to the self-care sort of things you're talking about and just, and, 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 and how to be a learner, right. And, exactly. and why to be a learner, right. I think to, to exactly. the service to, to the world in a way, is something that you're speaking to. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that stands out in, in what you're describing is, you know, such a radically different um, approach to the 
really the, the ends, the purposes of education, right? Our, our educational systems have been built to supply workers for the economy, consumers for the mm-hmm. economy, you know, to fit people into existing structures. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. you know, what you're describing is 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 precisely the reverse of that, is, is how do we build the culture and the world that we want to live in? And it's exactly. as being one of the levers <laughs> yes. that, that can do that and what core a crucial one. Yes, exactly. And we really want we really want them to be prepared to do that. We don't want to just say that. We <laughs> we really want and, and you can because it's scary. It's like, oh God, do we really want to do that? Because things are really going to look different. And there's not a ton of data around there's not a path laid out for us. I mean, mostly we follow the wisdom of the earth, uh, elders, strategies for um, building culture nonviolently. Like these are the things we study. We're, you know, I mean, when we use methodologies, you'd be, everyone would be familiar with. I mean, kids are reading, they're writing, but all toward a different end. It's like, you know, like a lot of our, in our, in our possibility classes, they're going to be creating posters and these cards to leave around, which are just these little cards that come in packs and then people buy them for like five bucks and then you leave them around. So they might say like, life is a gift. One says, um, the earth never lies. And you'd leave them like at a coffee shop or in a bathroom or wherever. Um, They could come up with those messages in two seconds, right? I mean, but that's not what we want. We want them to have spent the entire trimester really steeping in what what we mean by the earth's resources, the constraints of the earth's resources. And then after having read and studied and probably acted it out and, and wrote a thing on it or whatever, what kind of card would be the best card to write for this? So it's not so much, we're not so much concerned about, the end result is not the paper that they're writing. The end result is the message that they're going to share with the rest of the world. And is this the best message we could use to inform, inspire, and reveal? And you can't, you can't come up with the best message in five minutes if you just pull it out of thin air. So that's really what we're, it's like really actually about learning. It's about learning. Imagine that, right? (laughs) I know. Imagine that learning and really feeling it in your bones and being like, this is the message we're going to, we're going to do. And now we're going to go and learn how to letterpress print. We're going to set it. We're going to type set it. And then we're going to, we're going to learn a craft that is really old and really precise and really cool actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think another thing that stands out from, from what you're describing, and you know, you you alluded to the fact you've got a, a staff there that has now been working together for for you know up to ten years, and you know, who are doing this work on themselves very importantly. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. that you know you, you've created a context, and certainly this is one of the things that I see as a purpose of a, of a really healthy learning community is you've created a context in which that waking up that you described in your own story, right? Mm-hmm. Oh here I am, I'm alive, right? And mm-hmm. I will only be alive for, for a limited amount of time. What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. If you can be create an environment where the young person or anybody involved in the community can have that awakening and not be isolated in that moment, to be within a community of people who are there to say, oh, yes. welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then and then to be engaged in what you're describing, you know, 
as as important real work and perhaps the most important work of mm -hmm. building mm -hmm. culture is that that's mm -hmm. that's a beautiful image and uh mm -hmm. and it's it's a it's certainly something to strive for it seems to me that is you've just described the very first principle of the design which taking care of vulnerability we do that by having a community to surround us when we're practicing something new we have a consistent place to practice it and we have mentorship when I have had those four things, if I'm in a new behavior, a new way of living, whether that was not drinking or um, finding my way out of relationship addiction and other things I was doing, I have always had a community, a mentor, new practices, and a regular place to practice those. There's no, our, our survival strategies as individuals and as a culture are way too strong, way too strong for us to try to fight fight them, fight with them on our own, to build a new way. You know, I said this to a teen the other day who had tears streaming down his face. His hands were like this and he said, I wanna live, I wanna feel my life is what he said. But I keep doing the same thing that I, I don't wanna do, but I keep doing it. And I said, are you trying to do it alone? The new way that you wanna live? Yes, I am, it's not gonna work. So don't tell yourself you're a failure because you're not, but you can't do it alone. You, there's no way. So when you're ready to surrender to the community that you have, and by surrender, I don't mean lose your identity because that's not part of our design. We respect the individuality of a person. When you're ready to trust the community that you're a part of, that's when change can start to happen. And just, just to plant that seed for someone who's 17, yeah. I mean, I could have definitely used that. <laughs> I could have used it. And I had it when I, after I woke up. And that was by the grace of something much greater than myself that I'll never understand, that I actually followed a path that was very different from the one I was on. I'm so stubborn and I like to do things my way. It's a miracle that I, that I did it. But it was, it's worth it. It's worth it to live our lives more fully because what else are we here for? Absolutely. So we're we're gonna quickly run out of time here, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so before we do, I really wanted you to speak a bit about this, um, the the culture cultural design program, um, this mm -hmm. program, the eight month program that you were mentioning. Um, mm -hmm. What that consists of, what is it like for a person going through it, and also how does it interact with the the, the high school program? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So um, we keep uh, our cultural design program is eight months. It's low residency. So it's for people who live, you know, near and far. We have a retreat that happens in the fall that everyone comes together. And then we do a lot of um, virtual consistent learning throughout the year. And then we have a retreat um, at the end of, um, or at the middle of May. Um, so that's, that's our, our, our schedule and what we do, we use the same educational approach. So what I had talked about with the teens, it's self, culture, and um, possibility. Of course, we do that differently with adults. So there's a lot of work um, in adult development, personal development, which is really around learning how to be with um, ambiguity, learning how to surrender to ambiguity, and then also to listen skills to listen deeply to what, what I'm called to as an adult, and then also support in um, the discipline it takes to live from a deeper, a deeper place. 
Um, so that really, that self part is really taken care of in our program. And then learning about culture and relationship to our context. So really looking at our places of work, what's needed to make change. Um, we have projects within the eight month um, period where people can work using source design to make change in the places they're they're working in. And that's a crossover point with the high school because we have um, our seniors from the high school work with, with adults as well as alumni um, from our high school and from our adult program. So that's a bigger kind of group where people have a lot of cross-pollination and that and working with the project. And then impossibility, it really is studying um, studying the way the earth works through living systems principles, and then also through um, studying the principles and strategies of elders who have worked to change culture um, in over time, build new culture as their, as their strategy for change. So those are some of the things. And then of course, limitations, which is always hard in a culture that um, doesn't recognize them often. So we that's our, our course of study. Um, and we, we use that same educational approach, taking care of the life of the community, um, having that knowledge, and then also the practice. So those are, are part of it. And we, you know, people of all ages come into that program. Um, and then we have, like I said, that cross-pollination of teenagers and then adults of all ages coming together. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So I think um, I want to encourage everyone um, hearing this to to check out uh, the website, springhouse.org. Um, I know, and, and to sign up actually for the newsletter <laughs> that, that's there. I know people, you know, I, I receive a lot of emails and not enough to read, but I think um, the Springhouse one is worthwhile because of what Jenny writes. Mm -hmm. And you can see mm -hmm. there's a lot of ideas and a lot of like really uh, in development, really being applied kind of important ideas for, for our culture that are worthwhile there. Um, yeah, check out the book and uh, and yeah, and check out the, the, this interesting suite of programs that you're offering for people of all ages. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you again. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for your work. Thank you so much.